All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So we got some breaking news here. You're going to break some news for us here on the, yeah, Sur- so on the Surrey Police fight here. Surrey Police Services is holding a news conference, or the Surrey Police Board, um, Mike Sears, holding a news conference as we speak. They're releasing the Surrey Police Services budget okay. for the first time, $141.5 million in 2024. We're going to hire 203 more members to bring them up to 408 total. And by the end of the year, they expect to get up to 526 members. Um, and according to their figures, their budget will consume 42% of the money Surrey has allocated for policing costs. So the ball is now back in Brandon Locke's court. So how does that square with their numbers? Again, we've had different numbers from different sides since day yeah. one. Um so the um, also they say it's going to take two and a half years to fully complete the transition oh. to SPS, one hundred percent. Unclear when they become the official uh, police of jurisdiction, uh, but that's because right now they're running two police services basically. Yes. Yeah, yes. SPS and, so, and the and the Mounties. So. And as SPS goes up in yeah. terms of, of costs and and resources, RCMP is expected to go down. They would wind down. They would wind down. Yeah. So. Uh, 42% of the budget, which includes the $80 million that was set aside to transition back to the RCMP. And because that's not happening, they're arguing that money is available. Also, the $30 million from the province. Remember, $30 million a year for five years? Yeah, that's in there. That's in, that's part of the overall budget. Yeah. And more than $200 million set aside, $240 million, I think, set aside by Surrey Council just for policing costs. So you add it all up, they, they, their view is, and again, you're going to get a contrasting view from Brenda Locke and Peter German. No doubt. Is that they, their budget will only use up 42% of the money allocated for Surrey policing. And, and the other the other money, I guess, would presumably finance the RCMP going forward here. Not clear whether while, all that term. money would be for RCMP, but... Basically, they're saying they're, it's affordable. It's an affordable, affordable budget they put forward. The, the city has the money, yep. right? And so Brenda Locke... So Brenda Locke has been saying all along the opposite. This is an affordability issue. This can't, they can't afford it. This is going to burn Surrey taxpayers to a crisp and is going to trigger double digit well, in, uh, tax hikes. Presentation from Mike Sear again. We'll see if, if Locke and German challenge this. Yeah. Hard to see how a tax increase would flow because of this particular budget. Because again, according to their figures, it's more than covered by the money already set aside. So Surrey Police Service saying here, this is full speed ahead. We're hiring more officers, mm-hmm. right? That's outlined here. But wasn't it recently that Brenda Locke said, we're not going to pay your new officers? Yeah, well... Or how is that going to work? Again, the, the ultimate sign-off here is with the Director of Police Services, Glenn Lewis, who works for the provincial government. He has statutory authority over this. Uh, and that's going to be the final... The final so he, can he force the city of Surrey to pay so. for this budget? Yep, they've, mm. they've got a contractual um, requirement for policing. And okay, where does this go now? Now we're going to oh, hear from gonna, Brenda Locke. I'm sure we're going to hear from Brenda and from Peter German, who are going to obviously challenge this. Uh, so, again, this is back and forth. Yeah. But the ultimate sign-off, Glenn Lewis, uh, the Director of Police Services, has the final statutory authority. Okay, that's the uh, the never-ending saga here never we continue saga. to follow here. So, yeah, so that news conference is going on as we speak. The Surrey Police Service saying, hey, we've got our budget ready to go. We're hiring more police officers. We'll see what Brenda Locke, the Surrey mayor, says about that later today. Keith, let's talk about the the recent court judgment on the province's restrictions on public drug use. This was after decriminalization of drug possession in B.C., coming up to the one-year anniversary of that. And the court's 
turned around and said, no, 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 uh, this overturning this provincial jurisdiction uh, rule law on this and saying basically you should be allowed to use drugs mm-hmm. anywhere, anywhere, pretty much. Here's David Eby on that. Let's listen to David Eby responding to that court decision here. The province is now appealing this decision. Let's listen. The court's decision is very troubling to me. It's profoundly concerning that we can regulate alcohol use, that we can regulate tobacco use, uh, but apparently uh, the court has told us that we cannot regulate hard drug use in our province. Uh, We are studying the decision and making uh, uh, the Attorney General and her team will make a decision on how we're going to move forward here. Okay, so the decision's been made. The decision's been made. Nikki Sherman has released a statement saying they're appealing. So this was an uh, interim injunction granted by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Brian Hinkson. Uh, that expires at the end of March. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're appealing this. There are sort of two views of this. Do you wait until, you know, what's a couple months? Is that really going to change? Particularly since the act was actually not in place. It wasn't enforced because the regulations haven't been drafted yet or signed off by cabinet. So actually, even though it had passed the House, it wasn't being enforced. So now they're appealing the injunction. Uh, I'm not sure when that appeal will be heard. There's also, I know, talking to um, AG folks, there's a concern there could be a more broader injunction sought because the court case brought by the, the nurses group against, uh, against this law has yet to be heard and probably won't be heard for quite some time. So the thinking is they will, bring, they will seek a much longer injunction against the law until their case is heard, and that could be a couple of years. I thought E.B. made a good point there in that clip we just played. He said, look, we are allowed to regulate where people can drink. You yeah. can't walk down a sidewalk swigging a beer. We can regulate where people can smoke. You are not allowed to light up a cigarette in the doorway of a business. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now this, this judge is saying, well, yeah, but you can't regulate where you can s- smoke crack yeah. or use heroin. It doesn't make any sense. No, I, I think the average person would take the same view. Yeah. You know, that, that's the average person view. And it was interesting, we had a, a news conference yesterday with Lisa LaPointe, the retiring chief coroner, yes. who I have a lot of respect for. Um, but her view is that we shouldn't be concerned. It doesn't, watching someone consume drugs in public might be uncomfortable, but it doesn't impact you personally. But I'm not sure the average person would agree with that assessment. I think some of the arguments on that side don't, mix well with the general public sentiment. Yeah. Um, and again, Lisa's point about how politicians have to be braver and, and go the extra step here. It's hard to not to, it's hard to expect politicians to view this drug crisis without a political lens. If you suddenly go all in and say it, you know, free supply, endless supply of illegal drugs, uh, that's political, I think, um, foolishness for for the average politician because you're not going to have the public support for something like that even though scientifically and technically maybe that's an argument that's to be made to to uh, prevent more people from dying but again trying to get that past the public i think is a tough sell okay we follow that one closely let's finish up here with the metro vancouver bus strike so buses are rolling again and we've got a mediator in place a special mediator this time right oh, special, vince, special mediator special mediator special powers vince ready the miracle worker as you have called him he's he solved a lot of these disputes in the past so we'll see if he can solve this one let's have a listen to the labor minister here harry bain speaking yesterday I'm confident that the, this, uh, the, the buses will continue to be operating during this process. And then um, uh, hopefully there is, a, uh, there is a settlement during the time that the, Mr. Vince Reg is involved with them. Your thoughts? 
Harry Baines is ever optimistic that the best deal can be, that can be reached is reached at the negotiating table. How so, many times have you said that? I, you know, we could a thousand times. <laughs> I think every news conference, I think the over under for that is like six times or something. <laughs> so yeah, so Vince Reddy sits down today, um, back and forth with the two parties for six days, up to six days. Uh, if no deal is reached by Friday, a week tomorrow, uh, he will submit his recommendations for settlement to the minister. The minister then has the option to make those public, if he wishes. If he does that, that could put some pressure on one or both sides. Who knows? Um, and now what's unusual, and I haven't seen this very often, and as mediation begins, the unit has already issued strike notice, yeah. which is uh, – I can't remember the last time I heard this. So they put us – no sooner had Vince Reddy been named the special mediator yesterday – then QP 4500 Local put out a news release welcoming Vince Reddy to the talks and then said, by the way, if we don't get a settlement by 12.01 a.m. February 3rd, we're going to launch 72, hour strike, uh, 72 hours of strike action, job action. And they also said they intend to picket SkyTrain if they get the Labor Relations Board permission. Now, that's a key point. The LRB has to sign off on that. But they're threatening to shut down the entire transit system, all buses, all SkyTrains and CBUS and West Coast Express, 12.01 a.m., not 12.02, 12.01 a.m. Yeah. on Saturday, February 3rd, if they can't get a deal in the next six days. How is this good faith bargaining? And, you, well, you know, you've just had the most prominent mediator pointed here to help them solve this. And at the same time, the union saying, oh, fine, we'll sit down with this guy. But by the way, we're, we, you know, yeah. we're getting ready to go on strike again. Like I say, it's an unusual tactic. Yeah, um, to wave that red flag like that uh, at the beginning of what's supposed to be mediation. Right. Well, let's listen to the employer side of it here because they were not impressed with that either. The union, by the way, doubling down, saying we're going to go out again, by the way, if we don't get a deal. Here's Mike Colleen, spokesperson for Coast Mountain Bus Company. What's not helpful is uh, the union using scare tactics in the middle of this process uh, with respect to the mediator. Uh, we will work closely with the mediator to get a deal done, and that's what the public uh, expects and wants us to do. That doesn't bode well for getting a deal, though. No, it doesn't. Uh, so you got 180 transit supervisors that basically serve notice to far more bus drivers that they're going to take them off the job and make them lose three days' pay yeah. if they don't get a deal in the next uh, five, five days. And we talked before the odd dynamic here of supervisors telling the people they supervise that they're going to take three days' pay from them if they don't get what they want. Yeah, the bus driver's not crossing the supervisor's picket line, so nope. they would be off the job. They've already lost two days' pay, right? They don't get paid. So when three more days. So that's a week's a week's pay gone Yeah, if, if they follow through on their threat. Right. Now, I don't think the LRB is going to sanction a picket line around a SkyTrain. I think um, before we get to that, I presumably there will be essential service levels being argued at the LRB, and uh, essential services are to protect life and limb, yeah. not to protect your commute. Uh, but as you pointed out yesterday, a lot of people use the transit system to go to the hospital, exactly. go to the doctor, go to cancer appointments, sure. medical appointments. Yeah. So I think the unit's not going to... So it is life and limb, you could argue. I think you very successfully argue that. Hopefully yeah. we don't get to that. Hopefully they get a deal. But they are... A part, and what's interesting, because there's only 180 people involved here, the cost to tr to uh, TransLink is actually not that much if they were to accede to what the union is looking for. It's only a couple hundred thousand dollars more because there's relatively few people being involved here. But their argument is that would then raise the expectations for other unions, notably yeah. Unifor, to get the same 24% wage. Unifor increase. represents the bus drivers. Yeah, yeah. and okay. uh, which would be a far heftier wage bill.
It's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Terry in Kelowna. Hi, Terry. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Say, I've been following this because we've had our own troubles up here with transit. And, uh, you know, there, I, the, I, the media seems to be missing out on a huge part of this. And we've got a patchwork of transit authorities throughout the province. Some are run by BC Transit and a bunch of other ones are run by different contractors. And the thing is, all the ones run by contractors are way lower paid than any of the guys working for BC Transit. So you've got guys out there doing the same job, same demographic, whatever, getting way lower pay. And this, I don't think this problem's going to go away. And I think the mayor of our city here has got a lot of pressure on him from interest groups to get rid of our contractor here in Kelowna. Why is that? Are they not doing a good job or something? Well, they cost us money. They take millions of dollars out of the central Okanagan every year. Not one penny of that stays here. Mm. Why are we paying these contractors? Why, you know, it takes X amount of people to do any job. So why do we need these contractors in to do BC's Transit's job for them? Mm. And it's just a reason to pay people less, uh, you know. Okay, Terry, thank you for the call. Thank you. That was sort of the heart of the dispute in the Fraser Valley and the yeah. Sunshine Coast, mm. where they were asking for parity with people doing the same job at TransLink. Yeah, right. Right? So right. That, that's, that raises a good point. There is a bit of a checkerboard. Yeah, it, there is. Daryl in Coquitlam. Hi, Daryl. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. I just wanted sure. to say to, to you and to Keith, with the provincial government wanting people to get out of their cars and use mass transit and mandating the cities to develop high density around transit hubs. Uh, this, this is going to become a nightmare for the provincial government moving forward if this continues to happen. We've seen what two days did, and things like the West Coast Express and the SkyTrain were running. What about when they're behind the picket line? What is going to happen there? Okay, thank you. Well, it would be chaos. Sure, but sure. We're not there yet. I'm what are so, the chances of SkyTrain being dragged into this, do you I think? Still, I still have a hard time thinking the LRB is going to sanction a picket line. Yeah, because basically the union is arguing we should be allowed to shut down tra- uh, SkyTrain, even though we represent bus supervisors, yeah. but the, the employer is encouraging people to use SkyTrain instead, so therefore we should be able and, to pick and, it there, too. And the news release from the union yesterday did sort of... Couch it in that language that yeah. they need the permission of the LRB to do it. They just right. can't. They can't just go out and. They can't put a flying squad picket line around a. Sky what would happen if they did? Well, They'd I be guess breaking the law, wouldn't they? Well, it wouldn't be breaking the. I think what you see the company seeking an, an immediate injunction, injunction. Yeah. to get rid of the picket line. But yeah. again, this is all maybe, maybe scenario. We'll see. Yeah, Tony in Vancouver. Tony, you got thirty seconds here. Go ahead. Yes, I just want to say that was the MPP, uh, Justin Trudeau, the one that introduced um, the small amount of drugs to people that said that if you have a, a small amount of drugs, it's not going to be charged with possession. And also these judges, they don't live in the downtown east side. They live in the west side where there's no drugs <laughs> or anything. So anyways, have a good day and God loves you guys. Take care. Thank you, Tony. Tony's not the first person to say the judiciary is out of touch. Out of touch. With, out of touch. With the public. And yeah. I think this judgment's out of touch. Yeah.